Hi there, and welcome to the new episode of Blaze Explains. Now, once more, due to lockdown, we're in a slightly echoey chamber, so do apologise if that comes through. But thank you for joining us. Today, I really want to talk about big businesses that go bankrupt. Now, I don't necessarily mean that they actually go bankrupt, although in some of these cases that's absolutely true. It's more an idea of how does a massive business, especially one that either has a massive history, um, a huge reputation, a huge presence in people's lives, uh, either as a brand or just as something that appears to be everywhere, how does that kind of business fall and um, what can we learn from that? So I want to take us through a bunch of of examples here, uh, and I'm actually going to start with Barcelona, FC Barcelona. Now, Barcelona is not bankrupt. Um, Barcelona is fine, but if you, whether or not you've had anything to do with um, the world of football or following it at all, the stature that Barcelona has risen to over the past two decades, particularly from 2000 on, is sort of unbelievable. And on the fast, and on, in the past few years. It's fallen off a bit in terms of what the final performance is, and a lot of the causes of this are business decisions, financial decisions that appear to have been made really quite poorly. Now, it's football, it's a very complex and sort of unique uh, business that you can't analyze it quite like any other, but that's what prompted us to create this episode. So that's where we will start. So, the case study of Barcelona it's a football club founded in Barcelona. Uh, by expats who lived in Barcelona, I believe uh, Swiss and English. They created the football club on par with the rising popularity of football and other British sports, which obviously has led to the proliferation of most major sports today. It is the first team to ever beat Real Madrid in the European Cup. Real Madrid, obviously, the most storied team in that competition in history. In 1979, the Barcelona Football Academy, which is called La Masia, is one of the best and most revered in the world. And that is what really led to its almost godlike status in the beginning of this millennium. It churned out many famous people, not least of all Leo Messi, Josep Guardiola and Cesc Fabregas. As of now, the club's won 26 La Liga titles, 30 Copa del Reyes, 13 Spanish Super Cups, the Champions League five times, along with a host of other trophies. In 2018... Forbes ranked Barcelona number one in terms of sponsorship value ahead of Manchester United and Real Madrid, which were second and third respectively. That year, the club's income was $247 million. According to a study by Brand Finance in 2017, Barcelona is the top value, uh, sorry, takes the top spot in terms of value with its deals from Nike and Rakuten. And the club had a brand rating of AAA+. In early 2020, the Power Index still put Barcelona as the most powerful football club in the world when it comes to sponsorship properties, and Deloitte's Football Money League put Barcelona as the club with the highest revenue. So, how did they almost go bankrupt this year? Number one, due to COVID-19, like many other clubs, this is a financial stress test. Uh, Barca's several income streams at Barca were interrupted, slowed, or just completely dried up, most likely uh, to a point where we just don't know when they're going to resume. Barca's museum, which earned the club 58 million euros last year, was forced to close, last year meaning 2019. The club was not able to do its summer tour, again, which means a lot of lost revenue. The club's superstores in Barcelona City itself were closed. The academy's 15 million payments most likely also be lost, and the transfer values of all players fell because... 
club's abilities to play to pay fell significantly. And finally, with no definitive schedule as to when Camp Nou would be able to open again, that means stadium revenue is gone. And why is that so bad? Well, built on its success um, in this century, the club has the highest wage bill any football club in the world. The average Barca player gets 11 million euros a year. The percentage of the club's salary relative to its revenue is 69%, much higher than Real Madrid's, which is 52%. So they've allowed that to develop. Extremely expensive contracts on players that aren't winning Champions Leagues. Barcelona also hasn't managed its finances very well, especially since the election of its new president in 2015, that's Josep Bartomeu. The club spent a billion euros on the transfer market and has not achieved the results you'd expect from that. So it's gone on to try to match Man City, try to match PSG, uh, try to match, well, a long time ago and not the same scale, but Chelsea, and has failed to produce the results that they all did to basically boost, rather than rely on consistent La Masia products, which may take time to develop. They don't want to waste the ones they currently have, in particular Messi. They need titles with them. So they invested, massively overly invested, and here they are. The club's debt is also really high. Some people put it at, well, the club puts it at 460 million euros, but others have it as almost double at nearly 900 million euros. Now, the strength of this brand means it's really not going to go anywhere. It's hard to imagine Barcelona actually going bankrupt, but certainly it's in trouble and this has continued to develop. Uh, Bartomeu is no longer president. Uh, Leo Messi threatened to leave and ultimately did not. And so possibly they're in recovery now. But it was shocking to see quite how far they fell, given the fact that they spent so much and achieved less having spent it. So moving to our second case study, uh, Virgin Australia. Virgin Australia Airlines. So Virgin entered the airline industry in 2000s as a low-cost carrier called Virgin Blue. Within a year, they had a million passengers, and within three years, they listed on Australia's stock exchange with a value of 2.3 billion Australian dollars. In 2005, Virgin Blue was the first airline to offer a route from Auckland to Apia. Where's Apia? Forgive me. Ah, Samoa, sorry. So connecting the Pacific Island nation directly uh, to New Zealand, which is obviously for the region quite an important link uh, given the business ties between the countries. They were also the first Australian airline to offer web check-in, so ahead of it. To accommodate international flights, the company launched with a new name, V Australia. In the next two years, V Australia launched its premium economy class and two international routes. In 2010, the company won the award for best low-cost airline for Australia and Pacific. In 2012, the company again rebranded, changing the name to Virgin Australia and repositioning itself from a low-cost carrier to a full-service carrier. This was also the year the company won Best Airline and Best Staff Service from Skytrax. After the rebranding, Virgin Australia continued to upgrade services to customers, including but not limited to new Wi-Fi, in-flight entertainment systems, new aircraft in a new business class, and economy premium classes for its long-haul international flights, as well as the Economy X-Class. The airline continued to win more awards, Best Airline Staff again by Skytrax, Best Business Class, and number four Best Airline from AirlineRatings.com in 2018. April 2020, the airline filed for voluntary administration. This in the Australian business world is equivalent to filing for bankruptcy or Chapter 11 in the US. The airline sought a bailout originally from the Australian government, but that was rejected uh, amidst a fear that money could be siphoned off to the financially stressed foreign airlines that own Virgin, 
and the airline collapsed as the COVID pandemic continued to slam global travel. But even before the pandemic, Virgin Australia had already been losing money for seven consecutive years. Big crises, if you're already overextended and in trouble, they will really just take you apart. And we've seen a lot of that happen in aviation. Neil Hansford, chairman of the Strategic, of Strategic Aviation Solutions, says the airline's biggest mistake was losing touch with its original business model. Finding its way back will be the biggest, biggest challenge of all. Virgin set out on a course to become a head-to-head competitor with Qantas. They invested enormously when they weren't a profitable business. They tried to be the Qantas alternative, focusing on expensive lounges and providing certain service levels when they were having losses. That was very different to the model they chased early on as a low-cost carrier. They painted themselves as a young, yuppie, typical Virgin image. That was their focus and the culture was created. The problem is when you're doing well at something and you get ambitious and decide that you can do everything else, you do leave yourself exposed. It's very often a mistake and it's a really, really core lesson for when you're trying to manage businesses is that if you're doing something well, it's important that you continue to do that well. And if you want to do something else, you have to either have a very high probability of success or a plan that will allow you to survive if that plan fails. And it appears that what they did was they moved too far away from the low-cost position that they held that was really strong and lost it, and lost the ability to rely on that for its profitability. Now, I'm going to stop here for a minute, and rather than talk about further case studies, we're going to start looking at how to analyze these case studies. If we, if we start going into every bankruptcy, then it, it can take quite a while, and we often end up saying the same thing. But we have a bunch of things we can look at here. So first of all, what is the concept of bankruptcy? Bankruptcy is a legal proceeding for people and businesses who are unable to repay outstanding debts. In the US, there are two types of corporate bankruptcy, Chapter 7 and Chapter 11. So Chapter 7 is the company stops all operations and goes completely out of business. A trustee is appointed to liquidate, so sell the company's assets, and the money is used to pay off debt. So that's the equivalent of, I guess, the company going into administration and attempting to do as best as it can for its debtors at that point. Chapter 11, the company does not go out of business, but is allowed to reorganize, essentially protected from its debtors and its obligations. A company filing Chapter 11 hopes to return to normal business operations and sound financial health in the future. This type of bankruptcy is generally filed by corporations that need time to restructure debt that has become unmanageable with its current time restrictions. Chapter 11 allows the company a fresh start, but it must still fulfill its obligations under the reorganization plan. So Chapter 7 kind of allows you to be free of those obligations. You'll be met by whatever the value of of what can be generated from the sale of everything's left, Uh, but it's over and you can move on then from that business, although you may obviously be ruined. Um, Chapter 11 basically allows you protection because it may be the case, well, yes, we could pay this off, but the way this is structured now, there's just no way that we can. And it's like, it's not like we don't have a business. It's not like that we can't earn money if we sorted something out. And if the debtor's, you know, the debtor's interest is to collect the debt. So they aren't going to be in a position to be sympathetic. That is where the government comes in to say, yeah, this is where we offer protection. And th- in the end, the debtors are happy and the company's happy. Perhaps I should say lenders, not debtors. Under Australian law, there's something similar to Chapter 11 called voluntary administration. It's a process where an insolvent company is placed in the hands of an independent person who can assess all the options available and generate the best outcome for either business owner, sorry, for both business owner and creditors. So 
that's kind of what we're looking at. Only 26% of companies that enter voluntary administration can be saved. So a lot of them, most of them are going to go, but that's not nothing. A quarter of them will make it back. There are various systems like this in, in most economies around the world. You have varying kinds of bankruptcy that allow you to either reorganize or to end things uh, in an orderly manner that extracts the value from what you do have left. So what are the lessons that we've learned from each of these case studies? First of all, there needs to be more transparency when it comes to debt or financial issues. Surprises are never good. If a club's debt is very high, talking about Barcelona, it's much higher than what the club is explains or it's honest about, then it's something that we don't understand. Why is the club not being fully transparent? Especially given its ownership structure, it's not a publicly listed company, but at the same time, it's not owned by the board. There's no single owner. There should be more transparency. That's referring to Barcelona, font referring to Barcelona. Then there's how to take care of good finances. Well, really, that you really need to, no matter how strong your position is. Those fundamentals never go away. FC Barcelona is currently going through a very tough situation that could quickly bankrupt them due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It may yet. The Catalan club has always been an institution that took good care of its finances. For many decades, Barcelona always tried to appear as a club that had good numbers without letting the public know exactly what those number were, numbers were and that they were struggling to compete. Selling Neymar in 2017 was more a necessity than anything different. They always need the money. And they sold Neymar for a world record transfer, transfer fee to PSG and it shocked everybody. But of course, now we kind of understand that they did need the cash. Here's another lesson. Have a business standard. In addition to a lack of standards in Barcelona over the past five years, decision, decisions about millions and millions of euros invested in recruiting football players are often taken by football club executives based on intuition and emotions. One of the leading executives of FC Barcelona's transformation program includes in his book a conversation with one of the resigning Barcelona executives who says that when the transition of responsibilities began, who said this when the transition of responsibilities began, don't you come here expecting to introduce management techniques or apply business logic. All that matters here is whether the ball enters the net or not. It's all down to luck. Telling there. So this is a case, that was a case of mismanagement. Now we go on what happens in overextension. Avoid spreading the company too thin. Seven years without profit is too long a time to go for Virgin. You get a big hit, a global hit, and you're gone. Build the business to be self-sufficient. Before it went into voluntary administration, Virgin Australia had been doing some capital raising of its own. The airline approached both the public and private sector for a cash injection that would bail them out of their dire predicament. Ultimately, the amount of capital being offered wasn't enough to save the airline, and it chose to place itself in the hands of administrators instead. Striving to be completely self-sufficient is another surefire way to remain protected in all circumstances. Besides, if you are self-sufficient and have little or no debt, when big hits do come, you can get the funding to survive. Know when to stop. Passion is a key part of running a business. Small business owners who care about what they're offering are able to celebrate the good times and persevere when the going gets tough. But it's also important to remain realistic and recognize when it's time to move on. One of the harsh realities of business is understanding that there may come a time when you need to close up shop and focus your efforts on the next venture. So I think the big takeaway from all of this, and certainly what businesses are having to think about now, is keep perspective when you're planning in the good times. Keep perspective for what it's going to be like in the bad times. Keep perspective on what is important and keep perspective on what ultimately is not as important. So I've been making these podcast episodes a little bit shorter and sweeter, but we've got one coming up that should be nice, thick and juicy and loads of rambling uh, with it. Let me know which you prefer. I'm still trying things out. 
this one's just simple, a little something to help you on your morning commute or wherever you are in the gym, bored, evaluating me, trying to think about whatever problems you're having at work and I guess solutions that you're coming up with. I think a positive outlook rather than one that's rose-tinted is the key to a lot of this. Have a positive outlook, but just do it by being able to back it up with sound principles that are always true. Have reliable business models, have a full black plan, know that you're going to survive even if you take a massive knock at your most ambitious moment. Temper your ambition with a bit of conservatism. Thank you so much for joining. I cannot wait for our next episode. And this was just a little one on how businesses go bankrupt and what we can all learn from that. Take care and look forward to seeing you next time.